Hello and a big warm welcome to you and welcome to the Aware Parenting Podcast. My name is Marianne Rose, PhD, and I am so delighted to have today with me Helena Mooney, my dear friend and colleague, fellow Aware Parenting instructor. Welcome, lovely Helena. Thank you so much for having me. It's great, great to be here. Uh, I actually want to acknowledge you, Helena, because I remember many, many years ago, you kept saying to me for years, remember that, why don't you get a podcast? Why don't you get a podcast? (laughs) And and, uh, you're just very wise. And here you are, over two million listens later, having interviewed Gabor Mate. I mean, extraordinary. Well done. you. I mean, it's amazing. And so see it all that time ago, but to now really you know it's actual reality is so wonderful yeah thank you lovely and your podcast as well is doing so beautifully so I would love to invite anybody who really enjoys listening to you which will be of course everyone to also come and listen to your podcast afterwards as well thank you and today we we thought we might talk about your journey with aware parenting and with sleep and how differently you experienced sleep with your first child before starting and practicing aware parenting and then the difference second time around and also to yeah. really focus on babies and sleep as well, because we have a course about babies and aware parenting. And we thought we might talk about that. So I wonder whether you might like to dive in and share about your experience first time around before aware parent, the before and the after. What was the before like? <laughs> oh, my goodness. The before and the after. I mean, it's because of sleep or rather the lack of sleep. that I really discovered aware parenting and then just realized the power of aware parenting because when I had Emily, I'd done quite a bit of personal development work, which, you know, this is 15 years ago. I don't know if it was as prevalent then as it is now, but I was, I learned more about babies' needs and got really interested in baby development and how to help them, how to help our children grow to be really sort of emotionally healthy. So I discovered a classic attachment parenting approach and really dived into that. And I thought that if I had a gentle birth, I had a hospital water birth, if I breastfed her all the time, carried her everywhere, slept, you know, she was in my bed, then I would have this really cruisy, chilled out, happy little baby. And it was a real effort to do that way of parenting because at the time, very few people, well, certainly in my circle, were co-sleeping or carrying at the time we had ergo carriers so you know that was all a bit weird and and I really fought to do that every you know co-sleeping thing just freaked so many people out so I was really invested in attachment parenting and you know was going yeah but it's better for the baby and it's going to be great and blah 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 and it really just was not (laughs) it was so I mean it was lovely in many many ways I loved you know keeping her close to me but the sleep was just (laughs) she took ages to go to sleep at night so I'm lying there I was lying there sort of pretending because you know I'd read that if you're calm then your baby's calm so I'm lying there going I'm really calm I'm really calm and I would lie there for like hours just sort of pretending to be really calm while Emily is squirming and crawling around and I don't even know what she's doing anymore I couldn't even remember and she just wouldn't go to sleep basically unless she was on my boob and then and then she would wake up frequently. And again, the only way of settling her back to sleep was breastfeeding. So, but you know, by the morning time, I was just exhausted. And I was going, how, how are people operating in this world? I'm just, I'm done. I just, I can't do this. But I also wasn't prepared to do the crying it out, which at the time was the only alternative. And I remember we were with some friends and my husband thought it was brilliant because they put their baby 
in the sleeping bag, put the baby in the cot, left the room, closed the door, and then that was that. And everyone was going, can can we not do that? <laughs> because that looks so much easier. And I'm going, no, no, we need to stay close to our baby. But it was, yeah, it was really tough. And, and but I just didn't know what else to do. And there was a whole group of us, you know, discovering a, attachment parenting and doing it. And then there was people... We we had a hammock. Somebody had bought a hammock and then was sharing it around the group. So we'd take it in turns, sort of bouncing in the hammock. And I'm going, this doesn't feel right either. But I just, yeah, it, I was felt very lost and exhausted. And there weren't that many people I could ask because I'd rejected like the mainstream approach, which was Gina Ford and in in, in Australia Tizzy Hall, which was very structured. I mean, it's telling you when to have a piece of toast in the morning. So I, I sort of really resisted that because I didn't want to live my life on a schedule but I also just couldn't keep on (laughs) keep on being this exhausted and then we went to England so Emily would be about 10 months old and that sort of highlighted it even more how (laughs) terrible it was because you know we weren't in our home in our home we were surrounded by other people and having to do things and it was just like I can't keep doing this so a really good friend of mine said why don't you have a session with Marion Rose? <laughs> because we'd both seen your ads and your articles in a magazine, an alternative parenting magazine. And I read them avidly. And then I went, yes, that's what I need to do. And that's when it started to change. <laughs> Yay. Oh, my God. And my heart goes out to you, Helena, because for that, however long that was happening for, but, um, you know, months and months and months of not having very much sleep yeah what broken sleep and restless sleep and really having these seemingly these two approaches and I was laughing when you're talking about the being told when to have your piece of toast because as part of this book that I'm writing yesterday I dived into the to what's going on in the social media world around babies and sleep and I was actually so horrified that I had a headache by the end of the day that they sleep windows and just this like really telling parents on exactly to the minute almost what to do and how just how challenging that I imagine that would be if you're a parent and think you need to do that and how kind of constrictive that would be so yes and that thinking that the routine is the answer and actually I now just listening to you there also remember because I you know I was reading a lot of books and one of them I'd also read was the no cry sleep solution so but I started there was a pre under four months and over four months. And I was starting to do this at six months. And I was going, which, which book should I do? Which is the most appropriate for my baby? It was got, And so I really, yeah, that was the whole point of attachment parenting. I thought was to stop our baby from crying, hence keeping baby you know close to us all the time. And so then to, you know, to find a book that says no cry sleep solution, I just thought, well, this is it. This is the Holy grail because I don't want my baby to cry, but I really want her to sleep. And and that didn't, I don't know, but I think I was just so over it. And it just didn't seem to quite resonate, actually. Well, I can't even remember what they told us to do now, but that didn't work either. And and yeah, there's so much confusing advice out there and, and conflicting because either you leave your baby. And I remember posting in a forum, in an attachment parenting forum and going, or seeing other people posting and going, I can't, I can't do this. Or what's the end point of co-sleeping? Does this mean I'm going to have to co-sleep with my baby? Like, forever I I just the thought of that at the time just felt horrifying because if I'm this touched out and exhausted now I couldn't imagine doing it for 10 years (laughs) and and basically the only response we got back from 
those who were sort of ahead of the game, you know, had older children than us was, we just, that's just the way it is. If you want to do attachment parenting and I'm going, oh, I can't live like this. And I love my baby, but I can't live like this. There has to be another way. So yeah, it was quite challenging. <laughs> yeah. So again, that seeming option of those only two, you know, one or other, which neither of those seem very appealing and to have this third option is so helpful, isn't it? So helpful. So I'd love to hear once you found out about where parenting, and had that session with me of course you don't need to say whatever you want to say (laughs) what happened in terms of sleep what did you do you remember what you did differently and do you remember what happened and how you felt yes well I will just say about that first session because I had read you had written this I thank goodness for you had written this thing at the back of the calm birth book which in Australia is a brilliant birthing program to help us have as good as birth as possible so I had read it and actually held my baby to cry in the very beginning and then totally forgot about it because nobody else did it and it was this weird thing. And so in the session, it just made so much sense what you were saying intellectually. But then I was going, but I couldn't, it just seemed so weird. And there were no podcasts, nobody else I knew was doing it. You were the only person seemingly in Australia. I know there was somebody else, but I didn't know about them. And I was going, but this is really weird because the whole concept of, whole, I mean, for those of you listening, you know, it now must make sense because you've heard so much and read so much and probably done it with your own children. And But at the time, it was just such a weird concept because you were either ignoring your baby when they cried or doing everything to stop your baby from crying. That was either those two dichotomies. So the, the thought of being with your baby whilst they cry was just so alien and sort of seemingly went counter to everything that I was believing in, which was if you meet all your baby's needs, attachment needs, they will have no need to cry. So I started to give it a go, but I was still quite unsure about it. I I needed to have quite a few sessions with you. And then others in my group started to have sessions with you. So we all sort of like starting to figure this out together. But I needed a lot of reassurance because because I had rejected, like in quotes, the mainstream way and embraced this alternative way. My husband called it beardy weirdy. He was very (laughs) disparaging. I I remember that phrase and that was used quite a lot. I loved it. (laughs) Beardy weirdy. Yes. I went from being very conventional to quite very alternative. <laughs> so to so it did take me a while. And then I, I did buy the Aware Baby book and it did sort of say, well, after listening for three days, your baby will start to sleep through the night. And I was like, well, I'm, I'm listening and it's not really working so well. But that's because I I was still very unsure. So when I was listening to Emily, I was like, oh, and I don't I can't really remember how long I would listen for before I was sort of like freaking out. So it it was quite a it was a longer process for me because I was unsure. So I had a I had lots of sessions with Marion and then she had a you had a Yahoo group, didn't you? So oh, it was that in old that, Yahoo the old group. Days. Yes. <laughs> so I was just trying to soak up as much wisdom from you as possible, and I did keep saying to you, Marion, this is so weird. <laughs> I really else remember that. I really remember that so often. We were like, this is so weird. Is there anyone else doing this? Is it just yes. you? <laughs> Yeah. And, and my husband was definitely not convinced. So anyway, I I, I did it, obviously, because 15 years later. But I also want to really say I really appreciate you saying that because I think it's so normal and natural, of course, to think this is weird. Like there's really seems the two options, either hold and listen and be responsive or leave a baby to cry. There seems like the completely opposite ends of the spectrum and to, to hold this completely different perspective that, that has really different core beliefs about just about everything from those other two approaches I'm not 
And of course, it is still a form of attachment parenting. So there are still some things similar, but I just think it's so normal for it to take some while for these things to sink in and to kind of understand it, even cognitively, let alone emotionally to be able Doing to it. listen to feelings. That's a mammoth thing. So I, I just think that's so normal for all of us to take time and for it to be a, a process that we go on as we get more and more familiar and the theory starts making more and more sense and then we start trying it out and we start observing things. So, yeah, just it's, it's huge, isn't it? Yeah, and it's sort of really running counter to you know, in the attachment parenting world, and, and I, I I sound like I'm criticizing it, but I'm not because it gave me so much. And I and I really deeply understood about the need for attachment. And I found that so valuable and the co-sleeping and everything I, I'm still a huge advocate of with now, coupled with aware parenting. But because there was so much emphasis on our baby not crying and learning about cortisol levels going up if your baby does cry and the stress that, you know, your baby is under and so, you know, associating any form of crying with it being very distressing and and hormonally and chemically bad for our baby to allow them to cry, it really, it it took, it, you know, that helped, that contributed to it taking longer for me to really embrace the crying. But as after a while, when I did do it, I, you know, she was, and also the other thing, the other thing that brought me it wasn't just sleep she, her behavior was terrible <laughs> she was she was having tantrums and starting to hit me you know just I mean little baby hit but she was under one and I'm going hang on I thought I had at least another year before tantrums so you know I really felt like I was failing because not only was my baby not sleeping but they weren't this happy settled baby at all I've got quite a few photos of her scowling <laughs> she, she would people would come up and go hi and she'd like scowl it took a lot to get a smile out of her she really wasn't this lovely relaxed gorgeous thing so yeah and again, your guide like yeah and again isn't it that from from an attachment theory perspective there is that that idea isn't it that if you're meeting all their needs and doing all the things that you were doing so beautifully then they're going to be securely attached and that means they're going to be happy mm. and then uh, and I hear so many times from so many parents and I'm sure you do too who come from classical attachment parenting to aware parenting having those kinds of thoughts that you did you know that I'm failing or I'm missing something or just like wondering what on earth is going on that you've done all of these things and that to have a baby that actually doesn't seem very happy that what you know what's the missing piece here and the relief I think so often parents feel when they go oh my gosh not all crying indicates an unmet need and that's yes that there are two functions for crying. One is for communication and one is for healing. And actually, when we start to understand that and actually to be able to differentiate the two, what a huge difference it makes that then we can offer that beautiful, secure attachment and also help babies release and heal from stress and trauma. I know you know all of these things, but for anyone who's listening to this for the first time, that actually then that is the innate way they have to actually feel relaxed. And so often we're you you know I often talk about us fighting there so often there's this thought isn't there that babies are fighting sleep when actually it's us fighting those natural relaxation processes that they're born with that they're constantly trying to cry in our loving arms when all their needs are met to release the stress of the day of their birth of what they've experienced it's just a huge difference isn't it and so relieving I think for so many parents to go oh my gosh you mean some of the crying is actually really, really healthy. Some of the crying's indicating an unmet need, but it's not our role to then stop all the crying. It's, it can be so relieving, can't it? Hugely, because I thought that was my job, was to stop her from 
crying and I thought if I stopped the crying then I was stopping her from feeling upset I didn't realize that if I'm stopping the crying I'm just stopping the crying I'm not stopping her feeling un- upset those fe- upset feelings just don't go away and I even and I was really against the dummy but I, I got to the desperation I just gave her a dummy and trying to just plug her just to genuinely shut her up <laughs> and I breastfeed lo- I breastfed loads because I you know I was going well I just want to watch this tv program I just want to sit so I just you know I just bung her on the boob just to stop her from crying because I just wanted to moment of just watching tv and then of course you'd spit it all up and yeah so to then have exactly as you said that crying is so healthy it's really normal and healthy for your baby to do it with you mm-hmm. um and so now when I see a baby having a big old yell, I'm like, yeah, come on. <laughs> it's so good. But yeah, it took ages. And so I remember with the dummy in particular, I was trying to just, you know, get some sleep at night. So I would shove the dummy in her mouth. <laughs> she she literally took it out of her mouth and hurled it across the bedroom. <laughs> she was not having a bar of this dummy. Yeah. So to to have that understanding, as you said, was just it took a while, but once I got it, it was like, oh my goodness, this is it. This is the missing piece. It made sense. I'm because aware parenting is so, you know, the foundation is attachment theory and the needs that our baby has. So then to have that extra bit was just amazing. So even though it did take longer than I was hoping it would take, I was hoping it would be a complete silver bullet and it would also be, you know, done in two days. Of course, I started listening when she was 10 months old. So had all of that and backlog or you know just within her so it did take quite a while but oh gosh then after a while she would just and then I introduced play actually um I've got I had at the time I I said Evan take a video of me playing with Emily because I sort of knew it would be helpful for me at one point I didn't really know that I was going to become an aware parenting instructor by then but even the play just felt really awkward actually because I just felt really self-conscious going what am I supposed to do here I mean she's like (laughs) she's crawling but what am I play so I'm crawling around on the bed and and she's loving it. But I still felt very self-conscious about doing it. This is, this is the next reiteration of it being weird. But it did. It, 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 you know, it was so helped and her sleep did start to improve. And I didn't have to carry her all the time. So, you know, she would be happier just sort of sitting on her play mat, playing with some toys or boxes or whatever, random stuff. Oh, my goodness. It was just like, oh, wow. And you come out of that sleep deprivation fog and you're just like oh hello world I remember you I can come back to being a functional adult again it was yeah it was amazing yeah. I know it's a long time ago and you were coming out of that fog anyway but do you remember anything about the sleep do you remember the things that did start to shift was it do you remember did she sleep for longer was there less wake-ups can you remember any Yeah, well, I wouldn't have to lie there for hours pretending to be relaxed because (laughs) I would hold her in my arms (laughs) so she could genuinely. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I could start to get my evenings back, and then the night wakings just became less frequent. So, I, I think, yeah, I moved into the spare room. I think I'd moved into spare room by then because Evan was like, I can't, can't go to work on this lack of sleep. But so I would do a bit of listening in the middle of the night, but then. You know, I was worried about the neighbours and I just didn't have the capacity. But I found that the more that I listened to during the day, the, the you know, magic, the better she would sleep at night. But I did a lot of listening. Yeah, it was just before sleep times would be when I would would hold her and listen. And, you know, and as she got older, the cries in my arms became more physical, which, you know, was my next level of 
freaking out. So back to Marion I went <laughs> and, uh, and, you know, learning more about that. And yeah, it was just, and, and playing at bed at bath time and, and just realizing that being silly would actually then help her with sleep just help too. Cause I really did think if I did dinner, bath, reading some books, bed, that that was the secret and it just was not. So integrating a lot of crying. It was mainly crying. I did a little bit of play, but not, it was mainly the crying and yeah, the bedtimes got easier. Um, we could get into some sort of rhythm. Like I was so against routines after reading those books was going, this is just hideous. But then we did get into some sort of rhythm and life became more manageable again. But yeah, it was really listening to the crying at I, just before nap times and just before sleep times. And I don't know how long I listen to now because with my son, which we'll talk about in a minute, I would listen to so, so much bigger chunks of time. But I think probably like I probably did like 20 minute intervals of of listening. And yeah, it was like, oh, my gosh, this is amazing. And she started to relax more. She stopped hitting me. I could understand her tantrums more and I could I knew how to respond then. And that was like, oh, thank goodness, because I had no idea. So, yeah. Yeah, such a relief, isn't it, to just get more and more understanding. Ah, oh, this is what's happening and this is what's going on for them probably and this is what I can do and just seeing that clear result. And having that, I love how you talked about that natural rhythm that came because that from her own internal rhythm from you observing her, but also from your own family and each family's different rhythm. But how beautiful that is to come from, from her and from you rather than from some external person telling you what time you should be doing certain things. So much more enjoyable. Uh, should we move on to second time around then? And oh, George, how, which, George easy how, peasy. <laughs> what, what, Goodness. Happened, what was different? Well, George was born six years after Emily. So I'd had a lot of experience of aware parenting. I think I trained as an instructor, but yeah, I had. I trained as a aware parenting instructor and as a was well, a hand in hand instructor, and I'd become an aware parenting instructor. So I was really, I was really familiar and entrenched into the this approach and I was like yeah bring it on because I'd seen the effects on Emily and the tantrums as she got older and how to help her and all of and the play and everything it was just like yes so I had a home birth for George which was amazing because I had trouble with IVF and so that just was a beautiful start to us and an intense birth I might add but it was lovely and I was in bed it was great because I was in bed at home for a whole week. My midwife told me, do not get out of bed. And so I started listening to him the second day, just for like a little, maybe just five minutes, just going, oh, because I hadn't listened to a baby that young because it was a bit like, oh, you know, you are really little. Is this okay to be listening at this age? And I know that Aletha is very clear about, you know, establishing breastfeeding is really important. So don't, inter you know, don't, you know, if you're unsure about listening to crying, focus on breastfeeding. And then once that's established, then go for it. But I was, I was a confident breastfeeder. So I just started to listen just for five minutes here and there. And, and I had two midwives and one came in was a bit, I was explaining what I was doing and she was a bit like, mm. but the other midwife came in for anybody in Sydney, Cheryl Sidery, amazing woman. And, uh, and she was like, yes, this is brilliant. And so that sort of was a bit of an affirmation as well, even though I was familiar with it, you know, new baby, still a bit unsure and I remember calling you going Marion just remind me that this is okay because he's so little and you were so brilliant at reminding me and also 
reminding me about the theory of aware parenting, but also, you know, tuning in to me and my baby and, and what, you know, what did I think was going on for George? And I knew that I'd been feeding him well. So I carried on listening and oh gosh, the difference is just, it's night and day. <laughs> so he just would sleep and he, I mean, he was always, he was always with me certainly in those early days and I carried him but I also didn't carry him as much as Emily because he would just he was a just and I know there's difference between children and you know you can put it down to temperament but me listening to him from birth had such a I think had such a profound effect on him and he was a relaxed baby he was everything I wanted my first to be (laughs) because he was he was a cruisy baby and and, you know, we had an existing life that he had to fit in. I was taking my daughter to and from school. So, I, you know, there's times when you've got to wake up a sleeping baby to put them in the car. It's like, I'm so sorry. But the the crying in the car, yeah, with Emily, the crying in the car was horrendous. I used to think, you know, if I get pulled over by a police officer, is this a good enough reason for being slightly, you know, slightly faster? It was awful. Whereas George, he, you know, he would just lie in the car in his car seat and we'd be at school and there'd be everybody around he was a he was a school baby and so everybody held him everybody carried him and children and parents and you know he was just so loved there and everyone was going gosh he's such a cruisy baby and at the time I was a little bit hesitant about sharing what I was doing but you know he was I'd listened to him crying in my arms for an hour in the morning so he really was happy and loved being carried by everybody he was such a content contented little baby so yeah the difference was marked and I slept you know I was made able to function quite well after he was born he was yeah it was just totally different I can I feel the relaxation in my body so so much more ease so much more ease and of course the really acknowledging and I had that sense too as well like listening to Sunny right from day one and Lana from three months old that I wouldn't have been able to listen from day one being completely brand new to aware parenting of course second time around with all the experience that you had the the confidence that you had in crying in arms and of course that little bit of reassurance and, and experimenting because you hadn't experienced that with a newborn but just the that confidence, it just makes a huge amount of difference, isn't it, to start off with that, having already experienced it. Yeah, it really does. Because, and I was glad I was with you one time and, and one of your friends was listening to their baby. So I I had that image because it's a different thing listening to a sort of toddler, to a, a little, little baby who's so vulnerable and just gorgeous. But doing it bit by bit and seeing the just the difference just even just listening to five minutes and then it built up to listening to hour and I think it's always really surprising it surprised me even though I've been doing aware parenting for six years by then and I know it's a surprise to most of my clients it's like just how much a baby has to cry about Uh, because to begin with with Emily I was like well if I'm meeting all of her needs she's got no need to cry because I'm with her all the time she's got food on tap you know, she's being held, she's being loved. So what on earth has she got to cry about? Whereas George, he would have, you know, good hour. And there were times when I, you know, he went on for longer. Mm. I was going, wow, babies. Re-. And he had a, you know, a calm at birth. You know, he had a, 
good birth at home. There was no interventions, no separation. And yet he still had so much to cry about. It's it's quite amazing, actually. It is, isn't it? I remember the same thing, learning about wear printing whilst I was pregnant and totally resonating with it. And yes, you know, how wonderful. But then with Lana thinking, well, isn't that, why, why would she have anything to cry about? She's I'd say with you, like I'm carrying it all the time. We have a really calm life and then co-sleeping and breastfeeding lots and like why would you have anything to cry about and then over the time realizing oh of course even even when we're doing everything we can to meet their needs it's really normal and natural for all babies to have feelings every day I mean that is such a huge thing to really take in isn't it and I know over time over years and then being an instructor and then second time around and then actually working with lots of people realizing even even still, I was underestimating how many feelings babies have, that they're so sensitive, aren't they? And I think particularly mm. in our culture where there's all these, you know, bright lights and we're disconnected from the, the natural rhythms of night and day and all the noise and getting in cars and all the stuff that we just think is normal. They're massive things for babies, especially, especially newborn babies and in those early weeks and months. There's so much stimulation happening. Like, of course, they got a lot of feelings. And if we also have feelings about the birth, you know, if we've had a traumatic birth or, you know, or even just an, a really intense birth, and then let alone, you know, if your baby needed to be resuscitated or needed to go to NICU, you know, that's all added stress. And so, you know, a lot of my clients have had that, who've had that separation and that trauma in the beginning. And so then, you know, it, it helps to, it helps to give particularly those mums, I mean, all mums need it, all parents need it, but particularly those mums who've, you know, experienced the helplessness of seeing their baby just being taken away from them and having to be, you know, hooked up to machines to keep their babies alive, to have that added understanding of what was going on for their babies, to understand that their babies probably, you know, have, have a greater need to cry and that that is actually really healthy and it's the best thing you can do because you know also as a mum you're you're looking helpless on aren't you you know as a parent you're seeing your baby so you've got so much stress and what I love about where parenting is that it not only is there to help our babies and our children but it's there to help ourselves as well and when I, sometimes I give talks and and I say, when was the last time you had a great cry with a friend? And and many people just look blankly at me going, what? You know, oh, yeah, maybe I did that a while ago. <laughs> and and so to have that that understanding that what we're giving our babies is so powerful and what we can give ourselves helps us to heal. So, you know, even just with normal day life, even if you haven't had a, a difficult birth in those early years, to be able to know that it's OK for you to cry, too. It's just, oh, it's such a relief. And and that profound change in your own self is so significant and so powerful that then you are then better able to listen to your child on an ongoing basis. You couldn't do this if you didn't have somewhere to cry <laughs> yourself and to get that emotional support. Yeah, it would be impossible, wouldn't it? And I know that the number of times I called you and messaged you and just over the years it's just so essential to have and to have also friends who are practicing aware parenting and yeah and also for parents to know that if their baby has experienced any kind of stress or trauma during birth that they actually have these inbuilt processes to heal from stress and trauma right from birth can be so reassuring can't it to know you know actually you can help your baby your baby knows what to do and you can help them that is so profound too isn't it 
It is. And especially when you reframe it, because many people say, oh, my baby's getting more distressed. And so can really worry that the your baby crying with you is a sign that there's something terribly wrong. Or, you know, you might have feelings of guilt about, I mean, we all have, a lot of us have guilt. I've now, through Marion's amazing work, don't have the guilt. <laughs> but, you know, so many of us can carry that guilt. And so then it makes it even more painful to listen to your baby because you go, well, I've done something wrong. I've caused this distress. Then it, it makes it more painful. So to then just realize that crying is is not your baby in distress. It's your baby offloading their stress and healing in your arms. And that is, you know, the best thing you can do at the time. You know, once you've met their physical needs for for closeness and touch and food, and that's just, yeah, it's it's actually it's so empowering to know that you can help your baby. You don't need to feel helpless anymore. You can, you know, you can, you can help your baby to heal from difficult situations or just everyday life. And I think that just gives us mums and parents such confidence, just such confidence that we can help our babies with their natural way of releasing stress. All we need to do is just hold them and listen to it. And then they do the work. (laughs) And it's so much easier as well if we're starting off. So, if, you know, like your experience with George and mine with Sunny to start off right from the beginning, also then it becomes so much more easier because there isn't that accumulation of feelings and they're still naturally connected to those, those capacities to heal. And we're not then working with the ways that we've inadvertently taught them to repress their feelings, which then makes it harder. That all becomes much more complex. But of course, it's still absolutely possible whatever age we start. And that is also the beauty of it, isn't it? Is that, you know, whether you're coming to it, whether your baby's a toddler, child, you know, teenager, you can, it's really the principles of connecting and connecting with your baby, whether they're happy, because we smile then, don't we? When our baby's happy, we smile with them. And so connecting with them when they're sad and when they, you know, are offloading some stress that we just connect with them whilst whilst they are. and, And our presence is enough. We don't have to fix it. The listening is the fixing, one client said to me, and I really like that. The listening is the fixing. Yes, that's beautiful. And also referring to what you said about George's birth being intense and my experience with Sunny as well, it was really beautiful, but it was really fast. And for me, seeing how many feelings he had to express from that. So even if our birth from our experience is relatively calm or enjoyable or peaceful, it's still a big, big process for a baby to go through. And it's really normal and natural for them to have a lot of big feelings about it. And I found that really, really helpful. And, and also, yeah, really, really, really interesting to see how, how many big feelings I could see Sunny had from that birth experience. Yeah. Yeah. And and just life, as you say, you know, and, and George, he had a busy life as a baby. As I said, he was, you know, handled by lots of people and and he was still very happy little baby and he's grown up to be very confident. And by the time he went to that school, he was like, hi, I'm George. He <laughs> was like, I'm here. <laughs> and, not, you know, and this is not just a thing that you just do with babies. You know, it's not like, oh, once they get to a certain age, you don't do this anymore. You now do something else that you've got to learn. It's it carries them through. And we've just made this enormous move. You know, I've taken my children away from their country, as George keeps reminding me. And and I'm I can I know that I can help them. Uh, And, you know, George is eight now and Emily's 14. And, uh, you know, they might have lasting 
things that they want to tell me about when they're older. But I just know that right now that they're doing really, really well. And um, and what comes up for George and, and George is, you know, you never need to say it's OK to cry, George. You know, he just is in touch with his feelings. He just, you know, if he's upset, he'll have a big cry with me and a big rage. And then he moves through it. And so those principles apply whatever age your child is. And I just think that's just such a powerful way to go through life, knowing that you can express your emotions and, and that's the way to help you feel better and being a, and to be more confident and to cope with challenges that will inevitably come up in life. Uh, and it's been so powerful for me. Uh, uh, yeah, it's just been amazing. So I'm so indebted to Aletha and to you for showing this to me because the difference with oh, we meant to be talking about sleep I've gone into everything else but, <laughs> but it has just been incredible and yeah George's sleep yeah I would listen to him during the day he would have his naps um I mean it wasn't all Pollyanna I mean of course there were some times when you're just going oh my gosh this is a this is a hard patch but I knew what to do when it was a hard patch it, it obviously was a sign that I needed to listen to more feelings and like I talked about the car seat you know Emily just cried in the car seat all the time it was so stressful Whereas George rarely did, but on those times when he did, I went, okay, he's got more feelings. I just need to listen to some more feelings when we're at home and I can. Um, and his sleep through the night, I mean, yes, he needed to wake for feeding, obviously, when he was younger, but it just, everything was manageable. It it was fine. I'd sleep and I'd, I wouldn't listen in the middle of the night. I know some people go, oh, should I be listening in the middle of the night? For me, that didn't work because I was too tired. I had Emily and George around and um, my husband around and neighbors and so that didn't work for me I didn't do that but I just kept listening during the day and that flowed on tonight and it just works because the less obviously your baby has to in the less upset feelings your baby's carrying just the natural progression then is that they sleep better it's really such a simple I, I remember used to I used to have almost like a sum like the amount of stress what was it the amount of stress minus the amount of crying in arms equals the amount of relaxation something like that I need to re, re find that one anyway <laughs> uh, do you want to share anything more about sleep as well in those later years so not just in in infancy is there anything else in terms of where parenting and sleep that you noticed like when they became a bit older or yeah, it was just easy, basically, which I know sounds really simple. But yeah, so George would just, I would zip him up in his in his sleeping bag. You know, this is through toddler stage. And I did do a lot of play with him. I really appreciated play a lot more by the time George came along and and played with him. You know, we we're running around the house like a crazy one, especially with his big sister and, you know, pushing me over on the bed and all of that you know, intense high energy play, which by that stage I was not feeling self-conscious and weird about. I was just like, well, this is just what we do. This is just fun. So I would put him in sleeping bag and then I would lie next to him. My husband and I would lie with him and he would then just fall asleep and then we'd get up and go on. Sometimes we would fall asleep too and wake up at nine o'clock and I'd go, oh my God, I showed how tired we were. But um, yeah, it was just really straightforward. And, and then the thing that I was worried about when I started co-sleeping was, does this mean I have to co-sleep forever? And particularly for George, the progression just naturally followed. Now, he stayed with us until he was six, which to many people listening might seem horrifying that you have this child with you for this long. But, you know, I set it up really well. Luckily, we had a, a large room. 
So we had a king bed and then I had a king single from, it was the same make. So I pushed them together. So we had this giant bed. And so I wasn't touched out. I could just sleep in my space. George was near me if he needed a bit of reassurance in the night or when he was feeding, if he needed a feed, it was just there. I could just put my hand out or just feed him and then go back to sleep. So setting yourself up is helpful. Obviously, I appreciate that not everybody has an enormous room that they can do that, but to look at how you can set up your sleeping arrangements so that it it's enjoyable rather than this thing that you've got to endure. And by the time he was six, I was ready for him to go. <laughs> I had had enough by then. So, you know, I set up his room and all the things that I thought was going to work with Emily, you know, buying the linen and making it look really cool. It didn't work for Emily because I wasn't listening as much then. Um, and she was younger and I sort of forced it on her. I forced it on her when she was three, which now if I look back, I I regret. Um, I would have liked it to have been that natural progression. But at the time, because I'd fought so much to have a baby in my bed, you know, by the time you're three, for goodness sake, you're old enough to be able to sleep on your own. Whereas now I'm like, oh, my poor little three-year-old. But yeah, it was just a natural progression. And then I would lie with him when he goes to sleep. And very, very rarely would he wake me up in the night. Very rarely. And sleep is now just, it's just a non-issue yeah I was going to use that same word it's just so wonderful isn't it a non-issue and that freedom and relaxation it's like oh yeah that's just how it is yeah and also something that um I have a lot of clients they say oh you know I can't get my baby before nine and I'll just follow their cues and nine or it's not until 10 o'clock at night and and having that difference with was Emily because I didn't have to get up in the morning we didn't need a an externally imposed routine on us so she would stay up until nine o'clock and and I just thought well that's just how it needed to be but with George because we were already then in a rhythm with or routine now even though I don't like that word but with Emily going to bed around seven six thirty seven because she she had school um George just fitted into that routine and so he just would go to sleep by seven o'clock each night and Evan and I, my husband and I were like, oh my God, we've got our evenings. This is this is amazing. So I could have a, a full life. Yeah, my baby just went to sleep at 6.37. And, and and that's, you know, we can set things up to to be the way that works for us as well as our baby. And I really think Aware Parenting gives us that because when we help our baby with their feelings, they will sleep naturally. And so then we can say, okay, 6.37 o'clock. This is your bedtime. And yeah, he would wake up a bit later when he needed feeding. But, you know, those evenings weren't stretched out and stressful and your baby getting more and more wired and then hyper and then can't get to sleep until like 9, 30, 10 until they literally drop down from exhaustion. So, you know, just want parents to know that you can you can put them to sleep when you think is a good time and and help. And what you do during the day helps your baby at night. Yeah, it's so helpful, isn't it? And I guess it comes back to that beginning point that we can have secure attachment for them and bonding for us as well, but also lovely, restful sleep for us and, of course, them. And it's really coming back to that beautiful aware parenting that we can both get our needs met. And I love that, how clearly you demonstrate that by listening to him and following his cues and doing all the things, he then can fit beautifully into a way that is works for everybody in the family and isn't that essential otherwise we're going to end up feeling resentful and burnt out and that's not sustainable either so that whole thing about baby's needs and 
parents' needs both being important and valuable and, and that there, there is a way, there is a way with parenting for everyone to get their needs met around sleep. And Yes, and that, we, and, and that we're not sacrificing because when we growing up in the 70s and 80s, you know, it was all about children should be seen, not heard, and it's, you know, all about the adults. And then it sort of swung to it's all about our babies and our children and and you can get then resentful and touched out and and irritated and you know that's when you then become more snappy is when you're not getting your needs met so to have this way of going you mean that i can do that i can have my needs are important and my baby's needs can be met this is like what magic is this <laughs> yeah. and then it's true and i've needed to work through that a lot actually by moving to england because it was my it was my desire to move to england my children didn't want to come but knowing that I could help them with their feelings and obviously make things as good as possible as I can and that my needs were also important and and that really really helped me and I think that that's so important for particularly us mums to know that that we are important too and we can help our children and meet their needs in as much as possible and also allow ourselves to have our needs met as well I think that's it's really important so important, isn't it? Mm, so anyone uh, listening who's perhaps in an experience that you were having earlier on, maybe they're just exhausted or like, don't know what on earth to do or any of those kinds of moments, is there any words of wisdom that you would like to offer them? Uh, yeah, know that you're not alone because we can think it's us is failing and it's just us. And I used to look around at all these other babies that were seemingly sleeping really well. And I was just going, oh, gosh, this is just me. It's just my baby. There's something wrong with Emily. There's something wrong with me. And, and you know, when you're coming from that place, it's hard to then think straight. And so, yeah, please know that you're not alone. So, so many people go through this. It's really, it's normal, but it's, there is a way out of it. So just start listening to your baby just start holding your baby in their arm in your arms and and go oh sweetheart you know I'm here and I love you I'm here and just allow your baby to cry and you might start off for five minutes and that might just be all that you can manage and then you distract and do whatever but then then start to see and build up from there and and also really honor your needs too you know if you need to go and have a nap give your baby to somebody who you trust and just go and sleep. And I know that can be hard because I want to be with my baby, but you also need to sleep. And again, so many of my clients, I go, sweetheart, you just need to sleep right now because <laughs> you know? they're doing all the things. And like when I was lying next to Emily, going, I'm calm, I'm calm. And I'm really calm. You know, I wasn't calm. And of course, Emily picks up, you know, your baby picks up on how you really are. So it's so important to, to look after yourself. And if that means, handing your baby to a trusted loved one while you go and have a good hour's sleep do that because you you need it and the, your baby needs you to do that um we can think oh if i'm just with my baby all the time and put their needs first then that's what's needed but sometimes we need to we need to look after ourselves in order to then look after our baby so yeah yeah so vital isn't it so vital Mm. Yes. And then if you're really struggling, Marion and I have an amazing course. Oh, <laughs> We're <so> parenting we. <laughs> babies. 
Yes, um, well, I love that segue, such a natural segue. Would you like to share more about, about that course as well, but the other offerings that you have and your one-on-one work and all the gorgeous things that you do and how people well, can find out about those things as well? Thank you. Yes, I'm at parentingwithplay.com.au and my podcast is Parenting With Play. And the reason why it's with play is because I just, we talked a lot about listening to crying, but as your baby gets older, play becomes so important and they're two essential things to help your baby and your child. So yeah, I really, really love working with mums with babies. There's something really simple about a baby actually, and so powerful and it can really change the trajectory of so much. But yeah, so anyway, I work one-to-one and and what I was saying about your needs matter, I could not have done what I've done without the support largely of Marion. She was my mentor and my go-to for, for many, many years. And and we need the support, particularly when the around those around us are not doing this. They don't have that understanding and they they can't do it. And so it's, you know, we can feel quite alone. And so, yeah, I love running groups and, you know, and then by people coming into my groups, then they hook up and and become what we call what in Marion calls empathy buddies and hand in hand, we call them listening partners. And so, you know, I've recently got some lovely mums, one's in Queensland, one's in Sydney, and and they didn't have a community around them beforehand. And now they do. So keep uh, reaching out, I think is so important and getting support um, is so vital because you'll have all those niggling questions and you might intellectually get it like I sort of intellectually got it, but I found it really hard to implement and I needed my hand to be held and I needed that reassurance and that insights and those reminders because when you're calm, you can remember things, but when you're in the stressed situation, you forget. And so having that person to reach out to is just so vital. It's been fundamental to me. And I still need support as I go. I've got, I'm tackling the teenage years. So I would really recommend you reaching out. And I love, I love working <laughs> with mums. It's so, it's so wonderful. And particularly, you know, if they're with me for a while and seeing them go from babies to, to toddlers and beyond. So yes, I have a program called Annoying to Amazing, which are these principles, but I called it annoying because often our children's behavior is annoying, but we can do so many things to understand what's really going on for our, our children. I'm really passionate about when you understand your child, then then you know what to do and showing. And I've got a lot of videos in there of me doing this with my children when they were one, three, five, seven. You know, you can see it all in action, the playing and the listening. And then our Aware Parenting Babies course, we've got videos of me and Marion holding George and listening to George as a baby, which if you haven't seen it, you don't know what it looks like. And I think that's so important to be able to see it. And that's something that we offer within the program is the information the videos and we then run when we're doing live rounds we run regular calls so you can come and ask your questions and hear everybody else so yeah come over to parentingwithplay.com.au and and see what I've got there and currently I'm also running the play collective just launching the play collective which is for those of you if you you like the idea of play but you feel really self-conscious or awkward or it feels really hard I'm working with another aware parenting instructor, Chiara Rossetti, who's so naturally playful. I wasn't to really help work through things so that you can then become more playful and it just becomes a natural way of being for you. 
That's me for now, Marion. Thanks. <laughs> I love all the things that you do. So yummy. And you're on social media as well. Helena Mooney, Parenting with Play. Yes, yes. I'm sort of going to probably transition towards Helena Mooney because I'm now offering life coaching as well. But um, <laughs> at the moment, I'm Parenting with Play. But yeah, if you just search Helena Mooney, Parenting, you'll find me. Yeah, yum. And your podcast as well. Highly recommend. I know you mentioned that, but just Thank yeah, you. so yes. yummy. Yes. And, Parenting um, with Play podcast. Yes. All the things, all the things. <clears throat> and particularly now that I'm in England, I still work with Aussies and Americans, but um, yeah, looking forward to sort of really working with more English people too, because it's interesting coming back here. I've come from a really vibrant aware parenting community and I was in my aware parenting bubble and here it's like, hello, <laughs> this is what, this is aware parenting. And the, there, there are, there's, there's pockets of us, which is really lovely. So just, yeah, wanting to contribute to bringing aware parenting to England as well, oh, being part of that movement here. I love that. And, you know, that's one of my passions. I love that you're doing that too, coming from England too. And one day hoping to come back and visit and visit you. Yes. Yeah, so thank you for all that you're doing to spread aware parenting but over the seas and oceans. Yes. And if you're listening, I'm, I'm in Wiltshire now <laughs> in England. So if anybody's near Wiltshire, this is where I am. <laughs> Yeah, you think you'll be doing some in-person things as well? Yeah. yeah, yeah. I'm going to be running. Um, now that we're sort of settled, I'm going to be running some yeah in-person workshops. Which, after because we did, Marion and I have been doing online courses for a while, and so Zoom is just like a thing. But I, I'm, and after um COVID, I'm now just desperate for in-person. I just think we all need to sort of be close to each other and touch each other and hug and you know and be really in person. So I'm yeah, I'm going to be running quite a lot of those now. Oh, I'm so glad. Oh, I feel so happy and warm and ooh, yummy having, having spoken to you. And, and we don't get to speak so often nowadays. And I just so appreciate you. I so appreciate you sharing your whole journey. I feel really honoured to have been a part of that for, for someone. Huge. And just so celebrating all that you're doing. And this big, big thank you to you. And I've really enjoyed this conversation and how clearly you articulate all of these things that are so vital and so important with sleep and aware parenting so thank you lovely oh, thank, big, you. Big thank you and thank you from going from this is really weird marion <laughs> are you sure about this to yeah to 15 years down the track and going yes bring it on babies crying in arms the more that a baby can do that because i just would say that you know when we hear a baby crying it brings up panic in us a lot of the time you know if it's not our baby um, you know, you could, oh gosh, that poor baby is okay. But if we, if we could hear a crying baby and know that that baby is being held and loved, we would just, ah, oh, it would just be amazing. So I really want to celebrate you, Marion, from going from, you know, you had a few of us clients in the beginning to now this amazing podcast that you and Leil have created and you're continuing with and all the courses and the mentoring that you do, you're reaching millions from so I, you know, you have helped change the landscape that aware parenting is now becoming more mainstream or, you know, understanding and acknowledging babies and children's emotions is now more mainstream, which is certainly was not 15 years ago. It was, it was a fringe, hippie, weird thing. And now it's no longer weird. It's like, well, of course, we listen to our babies and children's <laughs> feelings. Of course we do that. Why would you not? Yeah. How could you not? Yeah. Um, so yeah, really celebrating you. Oh, just, thank yeah, you. Amazing. Thank you. Yeah, I feel 
very touched and I love this sense so I just keep getting this image I think I've shared with you of us all walking together arm in arm hand in hand you, you with all the hand in hand folk as well and just to really be to actually this becoming mainstream and uh, I can see it happening now and it's so yummy <laughs> well it is it is and I mean the fact that you had the interview with Gabo Mate who you know is so well revered and and obviously you know the principles he's applying that to adults but you're bringing that to babies and children it course it's so aligned yeah it's wonderful yeah yeah aren't we wonderful aren't we all wonderful so anyone who's resonating with aware parenting well any parent of course I think is wonderful and I want to celebrate all of us who've been willing to reach out and find something that really resonates with us and to be practicing it and to be sharing this with others so yay mm. well thank <laughs> you for today that's been lovely and so um, lovely yeah I look forward to the aware parenting podcast going from strength to strength thank you and um and, yours and too. if you want to come over to listen to Parenting with Play as well, please do. Yes, yes, please go and come and listen to Helena's episodes now. And I've I've had a chat with you over there. Some really, I think really, um, uh, I don't the word vulnerable, but I I expressed some big feelings over there on yours one time. I remember a few years ago. So mm, yeah, we talk about crying. I'd love to have you come back. Oh, I'd love well, to come back again. Yeah, yeah, great. <laughs> more opportunities, more excuses to chat. Yes. Okay, lovely. Well, big, big hugs to you. Thank you, Helena. Thank you to our listeners and just so much love to you all.